like to invite you to bow your heads as this topic really is one that we should start off with prayer. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessings of this great land. And we seek to live out our lives, uh, carrying out the mission that you've given the church. So please guard our hearts, guide our steps that others would see your great love reflected through our attitude and our actions. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So the verse that's going to be the thrust of the message for this morning is Romans 13, uh, verse 1. And it, it reads this, it says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Now, before we get too far into the message this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of give you a little roadmap for where I'm going. Because anytime we talk about things like government or whatever we may be seeing going on uh, within society, um, there can be a lot of passions. Uh, there can be a lot of strong emotions and, and, and feelings. And, and I don't want to get things too muddy. So I want to just clearly lay out where I'm going with this message. I think it's important to understand the context to which Paul was writing the church a group of Christians in Rome and what was going on in his day uh, when he was writing this letter of encouragement, the Romans uh, book that we have in the Bible. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. I'm also going to look at what Martin Luther says in terms of the fourth commandment and I'm going to use his words uh, from the large catechism. I'm going to talk a little bit about when we can be passively disobedient. But really what I'd like to have you walk out of here with this morning uh, is a reason to have hope. That's what matters uh, to each and every one of us as we live out our life as Christians. Okay, so it's going to probably be a, a little bit longer message, and I appreciate your patience with that. Uh, but just, here we go. All right? So the overall context. When, when God inspired Paul to, to write the letter to Rome, well, excuse me, to the Roman Christians, what was going on in their life uh, that he was trying to speak a, a word of hope and encouragement to, and, and really to us uh, as well. So, at that time, there was an emperor by the name of Nero. And for, for lack of a better term, Nero was two-faced. He was duplicitous, right? In public, he proclaimed himself, he publicized himself to be the emperor that was going to usher in the dawn or the golden era, the dawn of peace. You see, he was proud. He, he was this emperor that he sheathed his sword. He was able to wield power without having to use might and, and, and a sword. And so he was going to be the one that was going to usher in a dawn of peace and a golden era for the Roman Empire. Now, there are historians and some number of conspiracy theories and, and conversations that, that portray Nero in an extremely bad light. One of those being that even though he didn't use a sword to get things that accomplished that he wanted to do, uh, he wasn't opposed to assassinations or other means of cruelty. He even boasted one time in a joke how his own mother took out one of the leaders that would have been in front of him with a poisoned mushroom. So thank you, Mom. Only several years later, when Mom became a threat, he took out Mom. He wasn't a nice guy. There's some other accounts, again, not proven, that because of an agenda, uh, Nero set Rome on fire. 
What has been shown in history is that he blamed that fire on a group of people that were once like other Roman citizens, but now they were acting different. In their eyes, they were an abomination. You see, these were folks that forsook this idea of multiple gods and they were only worshiping one god. These were people that married only one wife. These were people that refused to use children uh, to exploit them for whatever gains that they may have felt necessary. In the Roman society, this group was the Christians, and Christians were an abomination. And so it was very easy because of their practices that were outside of society's norms for Nero to say, they're the ones that set the fire. And what they did, uh, what Nero did then was for entertainment purposes, he took them out, burned them in a fire, used animal skins, draped them over the people, and used wild animals to tear Christians apart. Christians had to hide in catacombs. It was not safe to be seen in public as a Christian. That's the landscape that Paul was writing to, saying, submit to the authorities. There's more words, 500 years or so ago, when Martin Luther uh, jotted down uh, the, the catechisms, and we have the large catechism also, uh, he was talking specifically about the fourth commandment, and that commandment is this. This commandment, the honor your father and mother, requires not only that we address them, our parents, in an affectionate and respectful manner, but above all that we show by our emotional and physical behavior that we think highly of them and regard them as occupying the highest place in our lives next to God. They are not to be robbed of their honor because of any peculiarities or failings. Do you hear that? Parents aren't supposed to be robbed of honor because of their shortcomings. And for those of us that are parents, thank you for that little bit. Okay, But this is what Luther continues to say. He says, we're not to be influenced by their person, whatever they may be, but by the will of God who's created and ordained their parental relationship to us. He then continues, it says, It belongs to the discussion of this commandment to say something also about the various kinds of obedience towards those superiors whose function is to command and govern us. Let everyone who can accept instruction therefore realize that God is not joking. He's speaking to you. He's demanding the obedience of you. Now the same is to be said concerning obedience toward earthly authority, which all comes under the heading of the perpetual office that radiates outward from its, in all directions. The head of the country is a father not simply once, but as many times as there are inhabitants and citizens and subjects under him. God provides for us and sustains us through our rulers as through our parents, with food and house and home, protection and security, and we on our part owe them honor of thinking highly of them. Did you hear what Luther said the role of government was? The government provides for us, as through our parents, uh, house, home, food, protection, and security. Hmm. Just something to keep in, in mind as we proceed with the rest of this reflection. Luther then asks this question of us. Why do you suppose that the world is now so full of disloyalty, 
disgrace, misery, and murder. Is it not that everyone wants to be his own master, accountable to no superior, or caring about no one and doing only what pleases himself? We all feel our misfortunes, of course, and we grumble about disloyalties and power plays and injustices, but we refuse to see that we ourselves are rascals who thoroughly deserve such punishment and yet are not in the least improved by it. And Luther then continues for several more pages and he ends his conversation about the fourth commandment with these words. It's because people ignore this commandment that God is punishing the world so terribly. Discipline, good order, and peace have broken down. We all complain about it, but we fail to see that it is our own fault. Our citizens are lawless and disobedient because that is the way we train them. Ouch. Those are harsh words. But even, even the scripture passage itself, Romans 13.10, excuse me, 13.1, where it says, be subject to the governing authorities because there's no authority that does not apart from God. God instituted it. Do you understand what that verse is saying? That verse is saying, for all of civilization, any governing authority, any ruling authority is in power because God has allowed it. What does that mean for us here at home? Office of the president and the person who holds that office is in power because God has allowed it. Bring it down to the local level, maybe the government level here in our state and, and the local authorities. They hold their office and those offices exist and the people who hold those offices are in power because God has allowed it. Well, pastor, what do we do when we don't necessarily agree with maybe the direction uh, that a particular person is taking us? Well, I want to speak to that just a little bit. But Luther mentioned in here that there's lawlessness amongst our citizens because of the way we train them. What is he getting at? He's talking about this idea that for those of us in, in, in one age group, when we have younger people that are under us uh, and we start to use our conversations and our, and our platforms, if you would, uh, to publicly go against the governing authorities. What we're doing is the younger generations are looking and going, well, if they can be disrespectful there, it's okay for me to disrespect authority. And so this is what we see happening a lot uh, in our polarized communities now. We see conversations. Some of them are happening behind closed doors. Some of them are happening on platforms like Facebook. And there are phrases that are being said, like hashtag, not my president, or my, with the letters M-I, governor is a blank, and I'm sure you've seen the signs. That, those kind of phrases, have crossed from disagreement into disrespect. And when we are disrespecting our governing authorities, Luther and God are saying that we are breaking the fourth commandment. If we're breaking the fourth commandment, we're sinning. If we are perpetuating political propaganda, we have no idea if it's true or not, but it strikes our fancy, and we're perpetuating it, 
for the purpose of slandering another leader, we are crossing from disagreement into disrespect. We are breaking the fourth commandment and we're sinning and we need to repent. Well, Pastor, when do we... When do we get to speak up for the things that we think aren't going against, that we think are going against the will of God? And, and how do we, how do we act? There's a time and place for us to be passively disobedient. What Luther wants us to understand, and what our Lord wants us to understand, is we are to submit to the governing authorities. Even if it means subjecting ourselves over and over again to tyranny and abuse. It's better for us to just be humble citizens and accept that than to become an angry mob and take up arms in revolt against our, our government. Why is that? Because an angry mob has no control. There's mob mentality. There's mob thinking that takes place. And emotion kind of wins the day. And even under normal circumstances, there's no control in, in what's going to take place. And a lot of the times, what was bad is now worse, and the innocent are harmed. Luther is saying, even if we suffer abuse, it's better for us to subject ourselves to that. Look at what Paul did and, and all the times that he was facing, all his persecution. He was in prison for his beliefs and even the religious leaders that were trying to take him out. He just went along and he followed the course of action that was there for him as a Roman citizen. Right? He followed suit. Martin Luther followed suit. When can we be disobedient? Passively. Remember what I talked about. Governments purpose is for the care and protection of those within its borders, those citizens, those people within our borders. Government has a boundary. We're only allowed, it's only allowed to extend its reign over the things external, temporal. When it comes to things spiritual, it has no authority. So if we are ever told that we cannot proclaim Jesus Christ, and speak true doctrine. If we're told that we cannot um, read the Bible because the Bible is filled with hate speech, if we're told that we must engage in idolatrous practices, then we can be like Peter and the disciples in Acts 5 verse 29 that says we obey God rather than men. You see, if we're to deny Christ, God is saying, I expect you to obey me and not these other leaders. There's a time and place for that. But, but how do we have hope in the midst of everything that we don't necessarily agree with or, or we don't understand? How do we have hope? Folks, Romans 13.1 is couched within uh, a letter of encouragement and even the verses just immediately following. In, verse, in chapter 12, we had these words last week. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Do not become, excuse me, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let everyone be in subjection to the authorities. You see, God is saying, I see the atrocities. I see the tyranny. I see the abuse. And, and I'll handle it. He has not abandoned us. He's, he's saying, I see it. And he's saying, just continue to 
Give witness to my love and my mercy and my grace. And pray. Bless, it says. Do not curse. Bless your leaders. Bless those in authority over you. Why is that? Because Jesus laid his life down for that person also. It's just like the, the one who goes after the lost sheep. Right? Jesus doesn't want to see anyone perish. And when we look to the cross and we look to all people, we recognize that Jesus laid his life down for them. Jesus cared about them. Jesus wants to see them saved also. So we pray, we bless our leaders. We have a reason to have hope. Back in Rome, back in the time of the Bible, when when Paul was talking to the Christians there, they were hiding in catacombs, but... They weren't just cowering. You know what they were doing? They were painting on those darkened walls light, anything painted with hope and, and light and, and ray. And they were raising up the generations under them to say, listen, this is temporary. This is not our home. And that's what we get to do. I'm not saying that we as Christians just sit around and just sing kumbaya, this is fun. Thank you very much. Can I have another? I'm saying we get to have hope because of the one who's conquered sin, the one who conquered death, and the one who conquered the grave. And and he's dwelling within us. He's given us a spirit of the light of forgiveness, a message of hope that the world desperately needs to hear. You see, it's not government's job to proclaim Christ crucified and him risen from the dead. God has another agency for that, and that is of the church. That's you and me. Regardless of what anything is going on outside, we have a message of hope. We have forgiveness of sins in a world that desperately needs to hear it. We can live differently from what we see going on in society and we can do so with joy because of the crucified and risen Christ that lives within us. Amen? No. Amen? We can have hope because hope is ours to hold on to. We have a God that's not going to forsake us no matter what's going on in society. He's walking with us. God is God and there will be a time when every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And we already know that story. And here's something else that we get to do in this society. If we don't like the direction of where our government is going, we can research the issues and we can vote. We don't just research the issues by saying, oh, yeah, I like that idea on Facebook, and so I'm going to go with that one. No, we actually look into the issues, and we vote, and we pray, and we ask, Lord, just guide us. Because you and I, as Christians, as citizens, as humble citizens, get to follow the one true King, the Lord of Lords, the one who created this all, and the one who's promised to welcome us all home when his time comes. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard our hearts and our lives in Christ Jesus. Amen.